This morning, I thank you that your word is truth. I thank you that you're going to lead us and guide us to bring about transformation in our lives. I thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you'll speak through me today. I thank you that uh, we can glorify you in everything that we do. And we are going to stick to you like glue. We are going to follow you, to pursue you, and, uh, and do whatever we can, Lord, to continue to, to press into you. Uh, and Father, I thank you for uh, just giving us a fresh understanding of your names that reveal your character. And we just commit this morning the preaching of your word to you in Jesus' wonderful name this morning. Amen. Next Sunday, by the way, uh, we have Pastor Sharon Brett, who will be uh, preaching the Word next Sunday morning, and she'll be continuing with uh, the series that we're currently doing, which is the names of God, and she'll be talking on um, the God who sees. So uh, be uh, uh, something we can really look forward to. I'm looking forward to that myself. So this morning, we are going to be continuing on with our series on the names of God. Uh, in part one on Father's Day, we did Abba Father, and we spoke about that. Then uh, last week, you had the Reverend Dr. Uh, Dean O'Keefe, hey, Dino. So he, uh, he did uh, the great I Am, and those messages are actually available on our pod, uh, tunes, uh, what are they called? iTunes podcasts. So it's going to be a good morning when I'm, I can't even get pod tunes up, uh, iTunes and say that right, isn't it? That's going to be good. Okay, so uh, I'm going to just uh, read a portion of Scripture, and then we're going to see where God leads us in relation to it. And it's out of Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through to verse 18, and this is what it says. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a pro proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. 
This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and your descendants, all the, uh, and your, through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. And then they returned to the servants and travelled back to Beersheba. This whole thing starts out as a test of Abraham's faith. It's uh, you know, would God? Sorry, would Abraham continue to have faith? In God, when God tells Abraham to kill the very promise that he'd been given through his son Isaac. We have the benefit of hindsight in this passage because our Bible tells us how this is going to end. We know that God's going to stop Abraham at the moment that he's about to drive a knife into Isaac. We know that God provided a thicket, sorry, a ram in the thicket for, uh, to take the place of, of Isaac. We also know that all of this because it's what our Bibles tell us that that's how it was. But Abraham didn't have the Bible to show him how this was going to turn out. This was a test of Abraham's faith. It was being tested. And all Abraham knew was that God had promised to make him the father of many. Okay, the father of many nations, other uh, translations say. So God gave Abraham a promise and then he gave him a name that actually reminded him of the promise. It declared the promise over his life. In Genesis chapter 17 verse 6 it says, This is my covenant with you. I'll make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm going to change your name. I will no longer, you'll no, it'll no longer be called Abraham. Instead, it will be called Abraham. So they've added a little bit on. For you will be the father of many nations. You see, Abraham and Sarah have been barren for a long time. They, they, it's almost like 99 years of age, almost 100 years of age when Abraham finally gets the fulfillment of the, uh, the promise through Isaac. And in Isaac was the promise of God. Would Abraham love God more than Isaac? Would Abraham have faith in God to bring about the, the to pass the, the promise that he'd been given? So God was simply testing Abraham's faith. However, as we've read this, we also know that God was testing Abraham's obedience. Because it says in Genesis 22, verses 16 to 17, this is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and not even withheld your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. And it says a little bit further on, and all because you have obeyed me. And see, this is the thing about faith. See, faith has an action that's attached to it. It's not just a a belief about something. There's an action that's associated with faith. It talks about that in James chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, it says, But someone might object and say, One person has faith and another person has works. Go ahead then and prove to me that you have faith without works and I'll show you my faith by the works so that I can prove that I believe. It says in verse 21 to 23 of that same chapter in James, Wasn't our ancestor Abraham found righteous before God because of his works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Can't you see how his actions cooperated with his faith? 
and, his, and by his actions, faith found its full expression. So in this way, the scripture was fulfilled. Because Abraham believed God, his faith was exchanged for God's righteousness. See, Abraham proved his faith by taking the wood, the knife, the fire, up the mountain with Isaac. He didn't hang around before he did it either. God tells him in the evening before, and then early the next day, Abraham sets out. He, he saddles up his donkeys, grabs Isaac, a couple of servants, gets the things that he needs, and he shoots out the door. Three days later, they arrive at uh, the mountain that God shows uh, Abraham that he's got to, to sacrifice his son. And when they get there, Abraham builds an altar, stacks the wood up on top of it, gets Isaac, ties up Isaac, places him on, on top of the altar, and are just about to kill Isaac. And the angel of the Lord shows up, he speaks up, and he stops Abraham from killing his son. And then in Genesis 22, verse 12, it says, Don't lay a hand on the boy, said the angel. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear. In other words, you have this reverential awe, this, this wonder at who I am, this, this worship that's going on of him. And you, know, don't, uh, you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. See, Abraham's faith and his obedience saw God provide a ram to replace Isaac as the sacrifice on that occasion. And Abraham is so, you know, just amazed by this that goes on. He says in verse 14, Abraham named that place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still call this, uh, use this name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. See, Jehovah Jireh is the God who provides for the needs of his people. Abraham needed God to provide a sacrifice to take the place of his son, Isaac. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. So what has God you know, promised to provide for us? Well, he's promised to provide for our needs. Everyone say needs. He's promised to provide for our needs. Matthew 6 verses 31 to 33 says this. Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. See, he's prov promised to provide for us all of our needs not all of our wants. There's a big difference between needs and wants. When it comes to owning or acquiring certain things, people will often use the terms want and need interchangeably. I need this, I want that. And many times we actually use those two words like they mean the same thing, but they don't. They are Two different words, and, and, and in, in economic terms, we can see that they are different. See, a need is this. A need is generally referred to as something extremely necessary for a person to survive. If a need isn't met, it would lead to the onset of a disease, the inability to function effectively and efficiently in society, and could even result in death. So needs are categorized into two groups. There are objective needs and there are subjective needs. 
The objective needs or the physical needs of a person are those that are met through tangible things and things that can be measured. Things like food, water and even air and shelter, things of that sort of nature. On the other hand, the subjective needs are those to ensure our mental health. Okay? Things such as loving and being loved, self-esteem, a sense of security and also of approval. Those things are uh, subjective needs. And there's a number of needs that must be met by each and every person in order to function well in society and to actually survive. The inability of meeting these needs can lead to a person in suffering from an illness like a physical illness or a mental illness or even death. On the other hand, a want... Okay? A want is something that a person desires either immediately or in the future. And unlike needs, wants are those things that differ from one person to another. See, a need is relative to us all. We all need food, water, shelter, and air. But a want is different. Your, yours might be different from mine, you see. I uh, See, I might want a fancy car, but you might want a luxury holiday. There. <laughs> This, this, the, the, you can see that they're different. So a person's wants are, are different from everybody else around about them. So each person has a list of their own wants and each with a varying level of importance. Wants can change over time, whereas needs remain constant throughout the lifetime of a person. A grey area there is, that exists between the two is when the desire to obtain a particular thing is so strong that we misinterpret a want and see it more as a need. In order to know whether we, what we desire is a want or a need, we ask ourselves one very simple, very basic question, and that question is this. Have we been able to survive without this. It determines whether it's a need or a want. If the answer is yes, then it's a want and not a need. And God says that he's going to provide for us all that we need. Philippians 4.19 says this, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So what are some of the needs that God's promised for us? The things that he's going to provide for us, the needs that we have. Well, we've already said it, food, drink, clothing. At a Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33, we can see, clearly see that God's going to provide. He knows what we need. Uh, unbelievers worry about that sort of stuff. You know, so we know that God cares about us. He loves us. Therefore, he's going to care for our needs. Secondly, is restoration. God is going, we have a need of being restored. Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 to 14 says this, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been redeemed. We've been restored to a right relationship with God the father through Christ. We've been restored into relationship with God. We need to be restored. We needed to be restored into that relationship back to the Father. We needed that. It wasn't a want. We're going to die if we're not restored. Is that fair? Third, freedom. Galatians 5.1 out of the Passion Translation says this, let me be clear. 
The anointed one has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. Christ has provided freedom for us. If we don't get free of some of the stuff, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to harm us. We're going to get sick as a result of it. We're not going to be able to function effectively. It's why that, uh, you know, uh, we can say that when God released the Israelites from Egypt, they wandered through the wilderness for such a long period of time. They were out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't out of them. They needed to be freed from a slavery mindset, a, fr- a slave sort of uh, understanding and a way of living, a slave's m- a way of thinking about how life should be. And they needed freedom from those mindsets. And that's what God wants to bring us to, is to, to free us to realize all of the things that God has, has brought for us and, and, and made available to us. Freedom. We need freedom. Fulfillment. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, By his divine nature, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. See, it's it's about living for a cause that's greater than us. This is a life of fulfillment. It's you know, it's, it's great to be able to sense that, you know, uh, we can have things and, and do stuff and, and stuff like that. But to live a life of fulfillment actually means that we have an impact upon someone else's life. That we are able to, to make an impact in someone else's life. We can affect someone else's family for good, for the kingdom of God. We can affect our community for the kingdom of God. We can have, you know, living a life of fulfillment is, is, is living a kingdom life. God wants us to live fulfilled. He, it says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that you know, he's given us life and life in abundance. It's to live a life of fulfillment. Another thing that, that God's given to us that we need is a power for witnessing. A power to tell people about Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to tell people about Jesus. To talk about who he is and what he's done for mankind. To tell them that there's a need for people to know that there's a greater way of living. We can live a life of fulfillment. We can bring joy and hope and happiness and and faith and and a, a love that's indescribable to a person's life. We can do this because the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to be able to talk about Jesus in a way that creates an intrigue and a curiosity in people's life. Another thing that God has provided for us, he's he's given us that we need in life, is forgiveness and healing. These two sometimes are, are, are tied inexorably together like that. They're very close to each other. We need forgiveness. We need healing. And sometimes healing comes through releasing bitterness, anger, and forgiving people for the things that have happened to us in our life. Psalm 103 verse 3 says, He forgives some of my sins. And he, you know, he heals sort of most of my diseases. 
All, sorry, what was that? Someone said all. Is that what? I might have made a typo. Oh. He forgives all of my sins. Past, present, and future. See, we don't have to beg for forgiveness. He's already given it to us. When you mess up, he's already forgiven you. And I think it's nice to say, Father, I'm sorry I did that. But I thank you that because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I stand before you as holy and blameless today. It's an acknowledgement that we've messed up, but it's also an acknowledgement of the grace of God in our lives as well. I think that's a good thing. And, and sometimes when we let go of bitterness and anger and, and hurt and, and offenses and nasty words and, and things that, that people have done and said to us, when we let go of those things, sometimes it opens the door that healing can flow in through our lives. Because I'll tell you right now, unforgiveness is, is it'll cripple your spirit. It'll cripple your soul. It's like a poison to us. And it's not, you know, poisons are always bad for you. Trust me. Okay, they're not good. That's why they've got a skull and crossbones on them. Like, wake up. It's not good. That's why pirates are bad. <laughs> he heals every sickness, every disease, every infirmity. The other thing that we needed was salvation. The other thing that we needed that Jehovah Jireh will provide is salvation. I don't know about you, but I needed saving. People say, well, you know, Christianity is just brainwashing. Well, trust me, my brain needed washing. (laughs) There is salvation in no one else. Acts 4.12. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. See, this same mountain that Abraham was to sacrifice his son Isaac is the very same place that Jesus gave his life for mankind. It was a shadow of what was to come. Isaac was a shadow. Again, Jehovah Jireh provided the lamb that was slain for the sins of all people, every generation throughout all time. Abraham believed for a son, an heir. God provided Isaac. God tested Abraham's faith and his obedience by asking Abraham to sacrifice his only son. The son that he loves. Why did, why did God t- say this to Abraham? Uh, why? Because he's, he's saying that there's a son that I love. There's a son. He's my only son. And I'm going to give him as a sacrifice for you. Abraham believed, even if he sacrificed Isaac, that God would raise him to life again. Who does that sound like to you? Who does that remind you of today when you hear something like that? There's so much that Jehovah Jireh has provided for us. Jehovah Jireh is so much more than the provider of money and things. Don't dumb it down to just being about money and the things of life. 
God has provided for us restoration, fulfillment, freedom, power for witnessing, forgiveness and healing and salvation and so much more. He's provided for us rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will provide for you a place of rest. There's so much that God has provided for us. He is providing for our needs, and I need rest so much more today than I ever do in any other time. We've got all this equipment, technology and stuff like that to make life so easy and so, so quick. Then why am I so stuffed? Are you allowed to say stuffed in church? Yeah. It got said anyway. To access what Jehovah Jireh has provided will take faith and action to lay a hold of. Hebrews 11.6 says, and it is impossible, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. See, does Jehovah Jireh Exist as our provider this morning. See, the test of this is this. Who do we run to first for the needs of our life? Who do we run to first? You've got a headache. Where do you go? Medicine cabinet? Or do we pray and say, Holy Spirit, just welcome you into my mind. Bring your peace. Bring your tranquility. Release the tension. Release the tension in my arms. In my neck. Help me to deal with this stress right now. Where do we go? Who do we go to? And I'm not trying to make people feel bad. I'm just saying it's just a simple test. God is more than Father Christmas who gives us all we want. He's Abba Father. The great I am, the Lord who provides what we need. What do you need for God to do in and through you today? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need healing? Do you need power to be a witness? Do you need escape from temptation? See, one of the things that he's provided for us is is that sometimes when temptation comes, God will provide a way of escape. See, this is the thing I've noticed with, with, with life, okay? Thoughts and temptation are like birds. You can't stop them flying over your head, but yes, you sure can stop them from nesting in your hair. Yeah, there's no nesting here. Really uncomfortable on this n- 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 head. What do you need from Jehovah Jireh today? Isaiah chapter 7 verse 9 says this. This is what the Lord says. Unless your faith is firm, I can't make you stand firm. Because if we're wanting God to make us stand firm, then we've got to have a firm faith. Because number one, you've got to believe that God is. And number two, that he's going to help you to stand firm. Is our faith firm? How firm is our faith in the God and who we believe him to be? 
Is he our Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides? You see, in Genesis chapter 12, we see Abraham is 75 years old when God tells him that he's going to become a great nation. Then, 10 years later in Genesis chapter 15, when God shows up again and promises Abraham a son and shows him the magnitude of his descendants in the night sky, he takes him outside and says, Abraham, this is what your family is going to be like. This is what your, your family tree looks like in the future. This is the amount of descendants I'm going to bring through, the son that I'm going to give to you. And then, when Abraham is almost 100 years old, Old, 25 years after the first promise is given to Abraham in Genesis 17, we see the promise is fulfilled in Isaac. The longer Abraham waited for God's provision, the stronger his faith became. Sometimes, right, you know, well, I asked last week for God to provide this need and it hasn't come through. So that's it. Done. God's finished. He had his chance. He had a week. I grow up. 25 years for the fulfillment of a promise. The older Abraham and Sarah got, the more impossible their situation became. Abraham's not stupid. He's saying, Sarah, it's going to be a bit difficult. And Sarah says, yeah, I'm feeling you. It's going to be a bit difficult from this end too. They know. They know their bodies. They can read the, the signs of their bodies. He, he's as good as dead and her womb's as good as dead. It's, it's in the Bible. This is Bible. I have to be very careful how I say this though. See, it became impossible. Yet Abraham, instead of running and giving up on God when it got impossible, he clung to God, he trusted God, he believed God, he refused to give up on the promise. In Romans chapter 4, verses 18 to 21, it says this, and I love this. I could read this over and over and over again, and I could say to myself, God, would you give me this same faith for the things that I'm believing for in my life? Would you help me to take a hold of this scripture and apply it to my life? Put a stickability in my spirit. Put the firmness of faith in my heart that I can believe this. It says here, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept Hoping, believing that he'd become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you'll have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, in fact, it says, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. Where is our faith today? Is the thing that we are believing for worthy of us going closer and drawing closer to Jesus, to, to, to get in his face, to pray it through, to sometimes fast for the answer, believing God. We're going to believe you for the fulfillment of your promise. You said this to us, God, and we are going to hang on to this word until the, we see the fulfillment or we go to glory with you. 
We have to stand and stick on to the faith that, that we have in the promise. Who said it to us? That's the, the, the power where we're going to find the, the, the promise fulfilled. It wasn't anybody else that said to Abraham about Isaac. It was God Almighty, the Sovereign Lord, El Shaddai. It was him, God Almighty, that said this word to Abraham. And because God had said it, Abraham said, that's a done deal. That's like writing a check and it's got his signature on it. I can take that to the bank and I know that it's going to come to pass. 25 years. Can I have the music team back up on stage? What has God promised you that you are still believing for? Does the longer that you wait cause your faith to grow and get stronger or does it cause you to give up and to walk away from that promise? I used to go to church regularly, but I found out that prayer doesn't work. I tried it once. I gave God a week and he didn't come through. Oh, yeah, this Christian thing, yeah. I used to read my Bible. It has been the old news. Or is it the word of life? Is it the words that we can stand upon? What do you need from God? See, Daniel, he needed God to shut the mouths of the lions. He was dead. He was a dead man. Thrown into a a cave for not bowing down to another God chucked into this cave and there's lions. I've seen lions. I know what they look like. They're big, sharp teeth, ferocious roar. One of the things that profoundly moved me when we went to Israel a number of years ago, we went to Caesarea Philippi and we saw this arena where they used to have games and where they used to sacrifice Christians. We saw the, the structures that were used to contain the lions that were released upon Christians. And I thought, in that sand is the blood of martyrs. Ah, it moved me. Have a read sometime of Hebrews chapter 11, the the great heroes of the faith. Because there's often a part in the book of Hebrews that we overlook. And it's the bit at the end where it says they were sawn in two, they were cut in half, they were this, they were that, they were stoned, they were bald in oil or whatever it was. And It is exciting reading because it's the story of stickability. It's the story of someone saying, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe God. And even though I don't get the answer, like Daniel, I'm not going to deny him. David, King David, needed God to guide the stones towards Goliath to kill him. God provided the five stones that he picked up out of the riverbed as he's running towards Goliath. God provided the the, the courage that David needed to run headlong towards this giant of a man. Blind Bartimaeus needed God to heal his eyesight so he wouldn't be shut up. Blind Bartimaeus, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. See, faith cries out. Lazarus, if there was ever a person that needed help, it was him. 
I don't know about you, but that's a pretty hopeless, impossible sort of situation. In a cave, wrapped up like a mummy, dead. Don't get any worse, really. Yet, even there, Jesus is able to reach. He has the keys of hell and death. How about a woman who's caught in adultery? She needed forgiveness. She didn't need to be judged. She needed forgiveness. And Jesus gave her what she needed. Abraham needed a substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac. And suddenly there's a ram caught in thorns in a bush. And suddenly Abraham saw it. What do you need God to do in and for you this morning? Do you need provision? Do you need freedom? Do you need restoration, forgiveness, healing? Do you need power for a witness? Jesus became the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for our sins, because we need salvation. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. What do you need God to do in and through you? Can we stand this morning? See, I'm going to ask the team to sing this song. And I recognize that sometimes there, we can have the faith to know that God's going to do something. And maybe you've given up on the promises that God's given to you. Maybe you thought, you know what? Maybe I just had too much pizza the night before and the cheese got to me and I just had a dream and it wasn't a God dream. Maybe it was. And you just need to reconnect with the promise once more. I'm going to ask people today that as this song's being sung, as a simple sign, a simple act of faith, that you come out of your chair and you come out the front and you worship. Let's worship first. And as we worship, let's say, God, if you need to, I'm sorry I've given up on this word. I don't think it's going to happen. But Lord, I'm going to recommit myself to believing who you are and what you've said over my life. 